Good morning, everyone. Lovely time of worship. Thank you all for being here. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's great to be able to be here today um, celebrating Pentecost. We have a candle here. Uh, this is a candle that represents the presence of Christ. And uh, I think it'd be lovely to always have a candle re reminding us of the presence of Christ that is always with us. But today I want to talk about with the last few weeks, um, the last while we've been in the book of John and, and Phil has been taking us through John chapter 14 the last few weeks and reminding us of the presence of the Holy Spirit and what it what it is that we accept and we move into a relationship with Jesus. Today I want to talk about this understanding and as this TV moves magically across the stage. You should not be able to see Zach at this point. And then right when it stops, it hits this lovely slide. Relationships and John. We have a few different weeks that we are talking about relationships and John. And today I want to talk about just the relationship and John and moving from temple to friendship. Moving from temple to friendship, we, we go from this cold exterior and a place that only a few could go into, into this deep and understanding and longing friendship. We are lonely. We have a lonely world. And this lonely world is, is, is getting more, as, as people move to cities, as people move online, as people move into different places um, with more people, Oddly enough, ironically enough, we become more and more lonely. I meet with, unfortunately, quite constantly, people that are just lonely. People that just want to be heard, want to be seen, want to be talked to. You've heard, if I could have dinner with anyone living or dead, who would it be? If I could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, I would. <laughs> That's a twist on that. If I could have dinner with anybody, living or dead, I would. We are built for community. We are built to be together. We are all here today, and I want to help you to understand that within this building, within marriages, within friendships, and within this place, and within this city of Kelowna, and within this world, there are people around you that are lonely. This world is filled with loneliness, and it's difficult, it's tough, and it's sad. And there's health implications in this idea of loneliness. And we understand that there is health implications. The 50, there's a 50% increased risk of dementia when you suffer from loneliness. A 50% increase. We understand that there is going to be some mental, Ill, mental health implications of loneliness. Um, anxiety, depression increase. The chances of suicide increase as well. But there's also actual physical health implications with being lonely. It's not just all about the better. It's actually about the physical state. Um, there is a 29% increase in the risk of heart disease. 32% risk, increased risk of stroke. There is a lot of, there's a 62%, 68% increased risk of hospitalization and 57% risk of emergency department visits. We start off heavy this morning. But there is a lot of lonely people. And as I'm going to go through some stats, you're going to see that as we look around us, those stats do include this room and do include people that you are very close to. I've been in places that are very populous, biggest cities. I've been, you know, you go to the biggest cities in the world, and if you're on your own, you feel alone. There's people bumping into you everywhere. There's people cramming your space. But for some reason, we feel alone. 
And it's this weird understanding that how does that happen and why is that happening and why are we pushing away more and more? Social media gives us a whole bunch of acquaintances. Social media allows us this time that we can go online and we can be with people, we can be with people at a distance. And those friendships are good. I've had lots of good friends. Over COVID, um, I, I started playing video games more. And uh, I actually got into this group of people, some from college that I knew, but other people that would join in. We'd play video games, and we'd play until midnight. We'd play until 1 in the morning. I know that was not very responsible of me, but what else was I going to do? And you end up talking to these people, and you have these conversations. And I would go until midnight playing games, and then the, the, everybody would leave except for me and, you know, a couple times uh, this random guy across the country. And we would just start talking about life, talking about marriage, talking about kids, just having a conversation and end up being a spiritual conversation. There can be these moments of great intimacy. However, it's also a big separation because we need people in our lives. We need people that we can look at. We need people that we can touch. We need people that we can interact with that we know care for us and we care for them. Jesus sends us to these people constantly. He is saying there is people on the outside the report that I'm looking at, there's one report, I'm going to look at another report later because I don't want to throw a whole bunch of numbers at you. But there's two groups of people, a few groups of people, that experience increased loneliness. The immigrant population, people coming from another country to this country, being forced out of their homes into this place, just ran a half marathon in support of bringing a Ukrainian family over. Hey, I did it. I got 152 on my time. Very exciting. But that wasn't the point. The point was to try to help bring, actually, the point was to get under two hours, so I did it. I was very happy with myself. <laughs> but we were raising money to bring a family over. Thank you very much. We were raising money to bring a family over. And the purpose of bringing the family over is because they've been placed out of their country into this country, and those immigrants that come over here feel displaced and they feel alone. There's such barriers and such issues with that. We need to look and we need to find. We in Kelowna have a whole bunch of places. You see the vineyard workers. We need to find times to be Christ to these people because there's lonely people. There's another community that is very on the outside, and that's the LGBTQ plus community. They are on the outside. Whether you agree or not, that is not the point. The point is that we are placing ourselves at odds with people in different communities that we disagree with. We need to be bringing the love of Christ into different communities. There is an extraordinary high rate of suicide in these communities, and what we need to be doing is bringing the love of Christ to these communities. Minorities. There is such a heartache in this world for people alone. And what we need to do is we need to be asking Jesus, how can I see and how can I love these people that are alone? In the UK, in 2017, they did a poll. And 33% of the people that they polled identified as often or always being lonely. And that qualifies as chronic loneliness. Half of those, listen to this, half of those that responded who are over the age of 65 identified that a television or a pet was their main company. Half of those that re replied to this study that are suffering from chronic loneliness identified their television and their pet as their main source of company. So the UK, and I've said this before, installed a minister of loneliness. 
They installed a minister of loneliness just to deal with the epidemic of loneliness. And I think about our church sometimes. Perhaps, perhaps this might stir something in your heart. Maybe we should form a committee for those who are lonely. And that's my job, for sure. That's all the pastor's job. That's the staff's job here. But it's all of our job to look for those who are lonely, to look for those who are lonely on your streets. That's the UK, and that was 2017. In the United States, the loneliness, this is an American um, study, but we can always closely relate to that. In the United States, loneliness is an even worse problem. In 1970, 10% of folks who responded to this survey identified as being often, if not always, lonely. So 1970, 10%. In 1980, it was up to 20%. In 2010, it was over 40%. And now in 2021, a new study, 46% of Americans identify as being chronically lonely, often, if not always, alone. COVID didn't make us lonely. COVID showed us just how lonely we really are. I'm not going to say that COVID actually didn't, it did, it did show us, and sometimes it made us feel lonely, and it was, it's a real understanding, but that loneliness always existed. That separation from this world always existed. And what we need to do is we need to find out ways to bridge that gap. We need to find out ways to be in a right relationship with God. We need to find out ways to find people and love people. I hope these illustrations demonstrate loneliness well for you. It's a pretty sad little guy. In, in, in uh, 1997, it's a long time ago now, I went on a, on a, on a hike with my grade 12 class. You're going to find out very soon that this is the 90s and not nowadays because we went on a hike with our, with our class into Kananaskis country, up the mountains, all the way up. It was springtime, so springtime is, is bear season. And uh, I will leave the bear stories for Phil. He likes to talk about bears all the time. I understand that. So we'll let, when Phil comes back, he can talk about bears. But what we did, there's no bears in this trip. There was a fear of bears, though. So we got to the top of our trip, to the top of this mountain. It was lovely. It was fantastic. It was in Canada. big, tall mountains. And when we got to the top, you could see everywhere. And you could see down to our camp. And so my friend John and I were like, hey, teacher, can we go that way back to our camp? You would think nowadays, no chance that would happen. They're like, well, see, look, we got the compass, and the compass says that way, and we're just going to keep following the compass. We should be able to get back to our place. No problem. She's like, fine. So I don't know if the teacher didn't like us or what was going on, but they sent us on a journey through the wilderness just to get down on our own, all alone. So we started off together, and we walked. Look, this is great because we are above the tree line on these tall mountains. Nothing can go wrong. I'm not going to let you. There's nothing actually goes wrong. We're all good in this story. I'm here. He's there. Everyone's fine. But once you get down below the tree line, you start to understand that you are alone and that you can't see camp anymore. You're trusting this compass. You're trusting what you're seeing. You're trusting what you're trying to do. You're trying to figure it out. And then as you walk further and further, you feel more and more alone. You feel more and more of this understanding, this realization that I can't see camp. I can't see our people. I can see bare footprints. I can see whatever other footprints there is. I can hear something. I swear I hear something back there in those bushes rustling around, rustling around. But you are alone. And it's scary. When someone shares that they too feel alone, it makes me feel less alone, not by getting rid of any of my loneliness, but by, by being comforted by the fact that I am not alone in my loneliness. I had my friend John there with me the whole time. 
If I was really alone, I would have felt really alone. But I was alone with somebody. And that is the thing. We are all here. There is 46% of us that possibly could feel alone. You know, we shake hands always at the beginning of service, the best, most awkward time there is in a church service. But we need to look for those who are alone. Because being alone is lonely, but if you're alone with somebody else, things seem to become better. We can be lonely together. One last stat about health, just to drive the point home that loneliness is bad. In a recent study, it suggests that health impacts of chronic loneliness that we're talking about here is the equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's the health implications of chronic loneliness. 15 cigarettes a day. That's 105 a week, 450 a month, 5,475 cigarettes a year. Not good. We are not wired to be alone. Proverbs 18.24 says, One who has unreliable friends or a man of many companions soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In this big world that we're here living in, we would say everybody in this room is somewhat of an acquaintance. But we need that close relationship. We need that close person. Everybody needs somebody to be close to. Everybody needs somebody to be a friend. So that is what we need to do. The first negative words spoken, the first negative words spoken, I don't want to say negative words spoken over humanity, but the first negative words spoken over humanity is when God says it is not good for man to be alone. That's the first time there was something a little bit, hey, that's heavy, but then there's a solution. You see, the thing is, we are created in God's image. And creating God's image means we are created in the image of a trinity. And the trinity is a relational being. There's never going to be separation of that relationship. And now we are born into that, and we are born in the image of that, and we are born to have relationship. We are born to be with other people. Being a true friend is having a true friend and a friendship that draws us closer to God. So our hope and our prayer and going through this series and understanding about relationships and friendships is that we would reach out and find someone. Pray that God will lead us into someone's path to be able to take them into a deeper relationship and help them understand that we are created in God's image. And they are created in God's image. And we are all created. At here, at on, on, online, we are all created to be in relationship. So, what better way to understand relationships than with the friendship of God? Moving from temple to friendship. If you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 15. So that's just like, that's the introduction. Now, like if you're watching a TV show, then the kind of opening credits come on. So now we got the opening credits coming on and we can see what's happening now. So this is just going to allow us to now move into this. So if you want to open a Bible to John chapter 15, I'm going to skip over, but it's important that we note that there is this John chapter 15 talks about the vine and the branches. And there's this beautiful understanding of abiding in Christ, being closely connected to Christ, carries us on on the journey of this life. 
But chapter 15, verse 9. I'm just going to read from there, actually. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my command, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all, thing, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. What a wonderful understanding of friendship, understanding of what Christ gives to us in this amazing beauty of friendship. I want to talk, first of all, before we get into that, about moving from temple to friendship. If you look at the book of John, if you just skip through your pages really quickly, you will start to see this theme of Christ passing by what used to be this separation and into a life spent with us. Jesus coming in as flesh. Then the party at Cana where they have, where they have all the wine and the celebration and the, and the beauty of relationship with people. Nicodemus. It's interesting about Nicodemus. If you know the story about Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. And what Nicodemus does is he actually comes to Jesus. Does he come to Jesus in the middle of the daytime? No, he comes to him in the middle of the nighttime. Read the story, it's quite interesting. Um, just that little bit where Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night. He comes on his terms to Jesus. As he comes on his terms in the middle of the night because he can't be seen to be with Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, hey, look, don't come near me. You know, you need to be proud of who I am. No, he accepts him in while he's going through the middle of the night to come see him. And the greatest truth is revealed from this encounter with Nicodemus and Jesus. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He lets him into this secret, even though Nicodemus comes at night because he's scared for his life. Jesus understands that as you, as you come to him, as you come into relationship with him, however you get there, doesn't matter, it's that you get to him. However you become a friend of Christ, it doesn't matter as long as you become a friend of Jesus. Nicodemus comes in through, and he, as you look through the rest of the book of John, you see, the, you see Thomas, and he says, reach out and touch me. You see Jesus having fish with the disciples. You see so many moments of moving from the temple, the cold, the distant, into a deep understanding and relationship. That's what happens. We become distant from God. We become distant in this temple relationship where we can only come, gain a little bit of, gain a little bit of appreciation, gain a little bit of, of kudos to what we've done for our relationship and leave. The temple is a, is a colder, more distant relationship. What Jesus comes is to give us something new and something alive. He comes to bring us friendship. So, with that and with this verse, there is one question that I come across. The question of the passage is this. 
you are my friends if you do what I command. How many times have your friends said that to you? And how good would that feel if someone says, you can be my friend if you go to the store and pick me up this. You can be my friend if you go and do this for me. If, 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 if. What is up with this word if? Why would I abide in a tree if it's, if it's, only, command, it's, if it's only commanded that I abide in that tree? Why would I go and be a part of that tree if I'm commanded to go, not invited in a relationship? Why would I do that? This is a... This type of interaction with Jesus is a bit confusing, mostly because it seems out of character with, the, with, the, with what the rest of the Bible says about Jesus. Time and time again, we see our relationship isn't based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus has done for us already. Jesus has already paid the price. Jesus has gone to the cross. Jesus has done everything for us already. So why is it saying, I can be your friend if I do this? We also know Ephesians 2 verse 9 says, Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that none of us can boast about it. This is not a reward-based system. And the sooner that we put that down, the sooner that we understand that this is not a rewards-based system, our salvation is not about what we can do to earn and garner more love and affection from Jesus, the better off we will be. We're, we need to understand there's nothing that we can do that will motivate God to love us any more than he already does. And he genuinely wants to be our friend. When we understand what Jesus did for us on the cross, we understand our worth in his name. We can now collapse our achievement motivation. That is what we do. We, this world is achievement-based motivation. You, wanna, you, wanna, you want to uh, further advance yourself in your job, you need to achieve more. You want to win, you want to win more whatever. You want, you want to do better in life, you need to achieve more. That's what happens. And if, if someone does something really well for you, you're going to give more affection to them. This is just like a transactional world that we live in. We need to collapse this understanding of achievement, motivated, achievement motivation. Once we collapse our achievement motivation, we collapse our judgments. All of our judgments are based on achievement. What have you done for me lately? True friendship, the friendship that Christ is offering and the friendship that we need to offer to other people doesn't work that way. Everything we do in the kingdom is not to acquire a worth that we don't have, but to express the worth that we already have. If you're here online, if you're here in this place, your value could never be greater than it is now, yesterday, and forever. It will never change. The value that you have, the worth that you have, can never be greater because God can never love you more, and you can do nothing to earn more love from Him. We don't try to become something that we aren't already. But through relationship with Jesus, we find our true identity, who God created us to be. So we have this word, if, still sitting here. So people smarter than I wrote about the word if. And in Greek, there's a couple ways that you can understand if, and you can also understand it a couple ways in our culture. There is a conditional if, and there's a descriptive if. So, if I am about to run a 100-meter race, oh, wait a minute, I just ran a half marathon. And after you run a half marathon, you have to, you're obligated to put it into your next sermon. So if I ran, 
If I ran a sub one hour, what was it, seven minutes or something, I would have won the race. Unfortunately, I got a silver medal, and that means I came in second place, right? So I came in second place. But if I would have, you know, or if I would run a sub two hour, I could beat Kipchoge. How do I say his name? If you are in the 100-meter race and the coach says to you, if you come in the top three, you will move on and you will go to the next round. That's a conditional if. And we accept that. And then when you're in the final heat, if you win that, you take home the gold medal. That's what happens. That's a conditional if. But there's also a descriptive if. If you work at Walmart and you are there in the morning and they have their hub meetings. Have you seen those? They, they have these big rah-rah meetings at the beginning of Walmart day. And they're saying, if you are an employee of Walmart, you will greet people with a smile. If you are an employment of Wal- employee of Walmart, you will stack the shelves and you will do this and you will do that. Your status as an employee of Walmart will not shift in that moment. It's already there. If you are a Canadian armed forces person, you will do 50 push-ups. If you are the, your status doesn't change. It is how you work out your status. That is that if. So we see Jesus saying, if you are my friends, you will do what I say. If you are this person, if you are that person, because I have done it for you already, you call yourselves friends in response, we worship. I don't come in here, I'm going to worship, and now I can go to heaven. I come in here and respond in worship for all the good things that God's done for me already. There's this beautiful friendship and relationship, and it's a give and take. And I tell you what, he has given far more than we can ever give in that relationship. That victory has been won on the cross already. We sit and we stand and we see what he has done for us on the cross. Death has been beaten. Christ has gone through the grave, came on the other side, and defeated death. So we do what we do in response to Jesus. There's also an if in my marriage. If you say you are my husband, you will figure out what to do with the long grass in the backyard. (laughs) What Jesus is doing is he's contrasting being a servant to being a friend. There is time, and we are servants of the king. We are that, but he also calls us friends. There's two observations I see here. That was that one, a life laid down. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lays down his life for one's friends. Christ has done that. He has laid down his life for us. An acquaintance isn't someone you would lay your life down for. I have a long list of friends that I would not die for. (laughs) Maybe I would, I don't know. I have a much shorter list of friends that I possibly would go to that length for, and a much shorter one that I know I would for sure. Basically, that revolves around my family and my cat, Stella. No, not my cat, Stella. That has (laughs) nothing to do with that. But there's a shorter list, and we need that in our life. We need a friend that would lay down their life for us, and we do have a friend that laid down his life for us, and that is Jesus. But that doesn't let us off the hook to know and love those that are around us that need a friend. But the thing is, Jesus has done this for us. What we do is in response to what he's already done. Second thing is, he lets us in. 
In this passage, we see something about friendship. He lets us in. Verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus is contrasting a servant. You know what? If you're a servant, the master does not need to let you in on his business. There's no need for that. There's, you go to work and the boss says what he says and you just got to do it. That's why everybody wants to be a bus. The, bu the bus? Everybody wants to be the bus. And I say the bus because you want to be driving the bus, not on the bus. You want to be in charge because then you know what's happening. You're in charge. But if you are a servant, you're not, you don't need to be on the inn. And you would think that's how a relationship with the creator of the world would be. We don't need to actually be let in on the inner secrets. But we are. And Jesus says, everything that I've I've had no made known to me, I let you know about as well. You can see that when he asks, when is the day and the hour that you'll return? I have made known everything to you. Jesus doesn't lie. He says, everything that I know, you know. It's all on the table. I don't know that. The Father knows that. I don't need to know that. You don't need to know that. But what I do know, I let you in on. That's a friend. You know how it is if, a, if, you, if you hear a secret about a friend that you didn't know was already there. You're like, what kind of friend are you? You're off that first list. You're on the, you're on the, the list that I, I, would, uh, I would take a bus for you, but I wouldn't die for you. That's ridiculous. But he gives us the big picture. He allows us in. The second thing is he invites us into a more mature relationship. Jesus invites us into a more mature relationship. Hosea 2, verse 16 says, In that day declares the Lord, so I said, I'll say it again, Hosea 2, 16, if you want to look it up. In that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, you will no longer be, you will no longer be, call me my master. I'll read that again. In that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, you will no longer call me my master. Jesus is looking forward to the day that this servant-master relationship is over and we are now the bride of Christ. We are into this beautiful relationship of trust and care. It's an interesting thing, though. Friendship and family. It was easier for them to talk about a marriage relationship in the, in the, in the, in the Old Testament times, the ancient times, because that relationship between a husband and wife was still that servant relationship. There was like this understanding that as you get married, there is still the husband and his, there's the wife, that up and that down. We know it doesn't work that way. Hello. I know it doesn't work that way. <laughs> but there's that idea. There's still a bit of separation. So that's why Jesus says, you are my friend. Because in the beautiful, perfect understanding of friendship, there's a mutual submission, a mutual um, opening up of a life to the other person that a friendship has, a choice to be a friend with that person is so beautiful. So my son says to me, a few years ago now, he wouldn't say this anymore, we're best friends, right, Dad? And that kind of thing as a dad, kind of bless, I'll bless him. Yes. Because he wants to know we're not just family, but we're friends. My kids want to know that my wife and I are friends as well as husband and wife. People want to be called a friend because a friend involves choice. A friend involves, involves someone willingly 
not out of contract, not out of obligation, but out of love and care that you serve each other. So it's important that we understand that friendship within family is so, so important. So there's an example of this friendship that we see in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13 to 15. It says nothing of the word friendship. Please don't allow that to dissuade us in this conversation here. But uh, it does talk about Paul being, as you can see the word here, compelled. So if you want to open to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13. Paul is talking about, people are questioning whether Paul, why are you moving away from being a Pharisee, having this cushy job, having this cushy life, having this place that you have already that you've, you've already established everything. Now you're moving into this life of a believer, that you believe in the way of Jesus. Why are you doing that? Verse 13, he says, if we, are, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and that, all, and that therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for those who died for them and are raised again. Christ's love compelled Paul to be in shipwrecks, to go to prison, to be tortured, to be hurt, and eventually killed because he was compelled by the love of Christ, of the friendship of Christ, to go to the end, not to win his approval, but in response to what Christ had already done for him on the cross. This is what we do. We respond in love and friendship. Christ's love compelled Paul. And the whole purpose of this, of this section of Scripture is to talk about redemption, redemption and reconciliation. Jesus then lets Paul in on the plan of reconciliation. The whole plan is not a secret of this world. Jesus came to live and to die so that all can be saved and all can be friends with the King. Christ's love compels us to move in that way because we are replacing the temple with the person of Jesus, with the friendship of Jesus. You hear titles that we need to carry on using, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Holy One, the Only Begotten One, the Creator. Those are all very serious and understandable, very appropriate titles that we call Jesus, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Creator. But if we only use these titles for Jesus, you can see how we would start to have a separation. Just like that old quote, God loves you, but he also likes you. Why does that ring so true? It's very easy for me to see that this whole world had a Creator, but that whole world, that Creator of this universe wants to be my friend, that's something completely different. Very easy for me to believe in the vastness of God. But that personality of God, that's harder for me to understand and harder for me to believe. We look at the relationship that kids have with Jesus and think, that's good. You go be friends with Jesus. I'm older now. I got more important things and more serious things to do. We got to think about discipleship. We got to think about board meetings. We got to think about attendance. We got to think about all this important stuff. Very important stuff. But you can't do the important stuff and forget about the friendship of Jesus. You can't do the important stuff and forget that Jesus wants to be 
with you in a relationship. We know Acts 17 says this, in him we live and move and have our being. And this is a beautiful verse. Perhaps you're someone that prays this verse for your family and friends, or you walk around your neighborhood and you pray, in him we live and move and have our being. But perhaps we could change it a little bit. We could say, in God, my friend, I live and move and have my being. In the ancient Near East, um, in most nations, there was a position in the court and that position in the court was a friend of a king. I suppose if I had a position in the court, it would probably be the, the I don't know, I want to say the joker or the jester or something, just like the, the, the village idiot possibly, that's what I would get. But there was a, someone in, those, in, in, in the kingdoms all over that there was a friend of the king. And the friend of the king was usually someone that grew up with the king before they became king, and their position was to be there with the king and to be friends with the king. And the king would bounce the ideas, his ideas, or the queen would bounce their ideas off of the, off of the friend of the king, and they would live together, and that, they would live in the, the court, and they would see each other, and they would care for each other, and they would bring information, the king would bring information to the, the friend of the king, and they would make decisions based on that relationship. That's what we are. We are friends of the king, allowed into this beautiful relationship. So now what? What do I do with this? I ask the worship team, you can come on. Come on over. Tell me how I did for time after, Zach. I know you're checking. I end at 11.46 every time. I'm not over yet. Who knows how long we're going to go. But what now? The end of this passion says, passion says this, this I command you, that you love one another. Let's not forget how the beginning of this sermon started with the lonely. 46% responded in 2021 that they are lonely. The health of those around us in this room, in this world, depends on us loving them like Christ loved us. We can't stop loving. How does that affect our daily life? I talk to my kids when they go to school. Just look around. Look for someone on their own. Look for someone having lunch on their own. Take some time to be, just say hi. My kids say, it's awkward, Dad. And I'm like, yeah, but did you do it? And they said, no, no. They said, we did, yeah, but it was awkward. Good for you. That's what we have to do. We need to look for the lonely. They're not going to look for us. You're not going to look for me. I need to look for you. You need to look for me. We need to submit and love each other and look for those who are hurting. There's an aging population that their main source of companionship is a TV and a pet. That's not right. Last night while I was driving home, nothing amazing happened, but I was going to get to the one place I turn off this way or that way. I live in Ellison, if you want to come visit. 
this way or that way. And I was about to turn where I go because I know the back roads. But I also know that on the way to Ellison, after you get to the roundabout and the new co-op, there's always people that walk that way. And I've picked up people before, and they just want to talk. I did it tonight, and there was no one. But I thought to myself, what should I do? What can I do to put myself in the position to love people that are lonely? So I decided to go forward and go straight and go down that stretch of road that has people walking on their own. And nothing happened. But maybe I should do that more often. Maybe I should go out of my way more often to find someone that is alone. Maybe we can, as a church, go out of our way more often to find those who are alone. And I tell you how you can do that. You can stop and you can ask Christ, who is alone? He will tell you. Today's Pentecost Sunday and we have this candle. And why is this candle here? Usually the end of Pentecost, we blow this out and, and this, is, this candle represents Jesus. This candle represents the understanding that as we're here in church, Jesus is here with us. Perhaps you want to take a candle to your house. Maybe do one of those electric ones so you don't have to burn your house down. But remind yourself, if you are alone, that Christ is with you. Christ is here with us, in our presence, in our midst, wanting to be with us, wanting to love us, and he is also in turn wanting us to love those around us. If you are alone, I want to pray for you. If you have more than enough relationships and friendships, I want to pray for you as well. That we'll feel that love and that conviction to go and to love those who are lonely. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this beautiful message that you are a friend to us, that your presence is constantly with us. And as we worship you in this next, next song, we would see Christ being around us constantly. And God, if we feel that abandonment, if we feel that disconnect from you where we can't hear your voice anymore, I pray that you would fill that void. But you'd also fill that void with your Holy Spirit, but with those people around us, with community. You have made us to be in communion with other people and with you. Thank you. In Jesus' name.